know the best way. God designed it, planned it, and has given to us opportunity to be a strength in the kingdom of God. And so the house of God, the word of God is still what's very, very important. Amen. So we're going to stand up and have some convictions and believe that God's going to help us in the present environment. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. So we're very, very happy to have them. I'm not sure how they're going to do this. This is probably going to be very non-traditional in terms of a Tuesday night, and that's okay. That will be perfectly fine. They are going to present some things to us tonight, minister some things to us, and we want to be responsive to that. So uh, thank you very, very much. I appreciate this couple. Uh, they have created a, I guess you could call it a brand. They have created a brand that is worldwide, and they have gone worldwide, uh, helping people, relationships, families, uh, family therapy, uh, and all of those things. And they have done all of that while staying very, very much apostolic. This is, uh, this is amazing. And it's not the level of success that they have achieved. Typically, there's a lot of influence, and in many cases, people get pulled a lot of different directions. But they have been on a lot of different platforms, and they've rubbed shoulders with a lot of important people. And uh, to have them with us, I'm, I'm just saying this, all right, to have them with us is very much a privilege and very much an honor. We honor both of you. We welcome you. Clap your hands and welcome them as they come here tonight. God bless you. Wow. Well, we're just so thankful to be with you. And uh, thankful to be with Brother Bradford and his family. You guys have an incredible pastor. I didn't know if you knew that, but... You do. Um, we were thinking about it, and uh, going to have to have him on our podcast soon. Um, but we're, we're thinking about it. As you know, we don't have very much bad things. I don't think anything bad things to say about the Bradfords. They're good leaders, and um, we have so much to learn from you. So we're thankful to be here and be trusted um, tonight to do a very unorthodox discussion on uh, family and health of the family. Yeah, I'll just uh, comment on what Adam just said. We were talking the other day, and I actually texted Brother Bradford, and we were saying, you know, we've been in close contact with a lot of people from the Bakersfield Church. Um, we know lots of people who are close friends of the Bradfords, and we know we've counseled with a lot of people from this church, and we have never heard anybody say one bad thing about the Bradfords. And that's a big deal, folks. Let's give them a hand for that. So we're so grateful. We said, Brother Bradford, we actually just need to interview you about that on our podcast. Like, how do you manage to stay above reproach? Because that's not every leader accomplishes that. So we look up to you guys. We respect you guys. And we're very grateful for you. We're honored to be ministering alongside you today. Thank you for having us. So if you could stand for the reading of the word, we'll jump right into this. We're going to turn to Psalm chapter 147. In verse 3. Sounds like everyone went digital. <laughs> We're just going to read one, one verse. And uh, the Lord actually really spoke to us today or yesterday and kind of had us pivot. So we know that this is going to be to some individuals here today, uh, talking about the family. And this will build as we go through the week. But we wanted to start in a very important place that actually the Lord um, directed us, we think, or we know. So here we go. He healeth the broken heart and bindeth up their wounds. He healeth the broken heart and bindeth up their wounds. You may be seated. 
Tonight we're going to speak on this topic, when shalom is shattered. When shalom is shattered. When we arrived in Bakersfield last night, it was pretty late. Thank you to the Brock boys that ushered us in. I don't know where they are. Where are they? Helping with something? Oh, there they are. Helping and ministering again, but thank you for ushering us in. When we got in last night, we quickly unpacked and FaceTimed our kiddos, which they're going to be joining us tomorrow, by the way. But um, we FaceTimed them, and we said a blessing over them. And this is a blessing that we say over them every night. And we'll give you a little bit of backstory to this blessing that we say over them. So when we were in Israel almost 10 years ago now, probably like eight or nine years ago, we um, got to be there for a month. It was pretty cool. It was part of our coursework, and we got to do an archaeological dig, and of course we visited the obligatory museums. And one of the things we discovered was something called the Silver Scrolls. Who's heard of the Silver Scrolls? All right, we're going to tell you. One person. All right. So I remember the, um, the guy was like, come here, you got to come over here. And, we, you know, the big group go come around this, like, little glass case. We all look down, and there's this little, like, little tiny thing. We're like, okay, all those hype for nothing. <laughs> you can't even read on it. But it's a silver scroll, and it's actually only about two inches long. And they found this by accident. Uh, there was actually an archaeological dig going on, and it was almost completed, and there was a whole bunch of helpers that come out to the digs that help the, the main guy do it. And um, the, the archaeologist actually handed a hammer to a kid and said, here, you know, keep yourself active, you know, go find something to do. Well, what is a kid going to do with a hammer? I guess on an archaeological, you think you're going to dig or something. Well, he started beating on stuff, obviously, and he broke through the floor. And that's normally not a good thing. But in this case, it was. And they discovered some bones, and at the bottom of the bones, there was a little amulet, or a silver amulet. Well, they took, I think it was three years to unravel the scrolls, and it's actually the oldest piece of Bible in existence. It's silver, and it's this, um, this prayer that we pray over our kids, found in Numbers 6, chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. And it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We all want peace, right? We all long for peace in our homes. And the world is crazy in turmoil, but God has charged us as his peace bringers to our homes, to our church, and to our community. But what is this shalom or peace? What exactly does this mean when the Lord told Aaron to pray this blessing upon his sons, pray this blessing of peace? So we're going to dig into that with you today. So in Joshua chapter 8, verse 31, it talks about an altar of shalom stones. And in the King James Version, you see whole stones. You guys see that? Um, let's see, Joshua 8, 31. An altar of whole stones over them. So what does that mean? The word there in, in the Hebrew is shalom. And um, this altar of whole stones was actually stones without cracks. Or it could just mean a wall with no gaps or missing bricks or something with a lot of pieces, but it's complete. It's in a state of completeness or wholeness. So when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible or make peace in the Bible, they don't just stop fighting, but they begin working together for each other's benefit. And our lives are pretty complex, especially in the 21st century. As uh, parents, grandparents, as young people in the 21st century, our lives are pretty complex. We have a lot of moving parts. But when one brick is out of alignment in the family, 
shalom gets shattered. The peace in our home, that wholeness, that completeness gets shattered. Because if Satan can get dad distracted, he knows he can disrupt the family. If Satan can get the daughter tempted, he knows he can disrupt the family. If Satan can get mom depressed, he knows he can disrupt the family. You see, Satan knows exactly where to target. And that's what it is. It's at that shalom. It's that shattering, that peace that we have when we're whole and when we're complete. So we're talking about how do we find peace? I think all of us want peace, right? We want, I mean, the Bible, I would say, God wants his church, his body, to be the most healthy place in the world. He wants us to walk in here and feel the wholeness, the completeness, the peace, the shalom of God. And oftentimes, that's not what we feel in our family. Or is it just me? You know, am I the only unspiritual person here? Like, oh, these people need shalom here. <laughs> Maybe it's the people I talk to all day, you know. But life is complex. Life is hard. Life is full of changes and losses and problems and hardships. There's so much to life that that we could, we could get lost in that and not how, know how to find the shalom. So in talking about, okay, how do we begin this discussion around family to help families find shalom for themselves beyond just a tip like, hey, parents, you should probably love your kids. You guys know that. So what do we do? I'm convinced that most parents are doing their best with what they have been given. But we all know that God has a potential that he's calling us to that says, I don't believe you're supposed to stay here as you are, but I'm calling you something greater, to something better, and to a greater level, a greater blessing, more health, more wellness. So when we get stuck, what, what do we do to go beyond that and to give our kids something maybe that we didn't have, to give them more peace? And what's so hard about parenting, and you guys all know this, What's so hard about parenting is so much of it is reaction, right? You're laying on the couch, and your son jumps off the back of the couch right onto you and thinks it's a fantastic idea to do this when you're not looking. Who feels a lot of shalom at that point? You're like, are you serious? You know, like, this didn't work out for you last time you did this. Right? So much of what we do with our family and our kids is reaction. How do we train our reactions? Have you ever thought of that? That's hard. <laughs> That's a lot of, like, Jesus work. So we started thinking, well, okay, beyond just a tip, love your kids, how do we start to change the very core of our being to react in ways that are more loving than maybe that we didn't experience in our own home life as a kid? So I'm not just reacting to what my family did or my dad did, or I'm not just being like my dad but I'm actually progressing in sanctification to bring more wholeness to my family. You see what we're thinking here. So how do we do this? How do we bring this shalom? Just today I was working with a couple. We saw clients all day today. Thank you so much for the awesome space upstairs to see clients. And um, I was working with this couple, and I'll just fast forward to the end of the session. It was a really powerful session. And at the end, I said, what is it that you guys really want? You know, they worked through a lot of hard stuff in this session. And I said, what is it that you really want? And I said to the husband, you go first. And he says, I want to set an example for our kids. He said, I want, I want to grow, them to grow up and know how to treat a spouse. 
Like, I want them to know how to respond appropriately when you're frustrated or you're angry. And then she, she responded, and I said, what do you want out of this? What is it that you want? And she goes, I want peace in our home, and I want our kids to grow up. And she kind of echoed what he said, but she said it more specifically. And she said, I want them to know, oh, that's how you treat a wife. That's how you treat a husband. And it's interesting because that's not at all what they reached out for. They reached out for broken trust and volatile, uh, escalated explosions that happen. And throughout the conversation today, we worked through some steps of seeking and granting forgiveness. And one, at one point he said, I see how much pain I've caused you with my explosions. And he's like, I wish I didn't react this way. I don't know why I react this way. He's like, I want to work on it. I don't want to hurt you. That's not my intent. And that's what they reached out for. But what they want is to leave a legacy. They want their kids to stand on their shoulders. And they both came from homes. I mean, he's in the military. There's a lot of baggage that he brought with him from that. They both had sexual abuse in their upbringing, and they're dealing with a lot of sensitivity. She gets really clingy. And so they're dealing with all this, with their conflicts that come up on almost a daily basis. And in the process, they've really hurt each other. There's been a lot of broken trust. What we discovered toward the end is that it's their wounds underneath that are causing them to stay in this cycle, even though it's not what they want. And we find that with so many of the people we work with. They don't want to hurt each other. They don't want to set an example for their kids that they're not proud of. But they have these deep wounds that they haven't dealt with. You see, when we have, when we're just going through life, we're consistently brushing things, right? Bumping into things. This is an analogy, not no normally, but, you know, like, we're bumping into things. And if I have wounds on my arms, every single time I bump something, that's going to cause greater pain than normal, right? And think about in my everyday interactions with my family. You know, it could be normal, we could have a conversation, but if I have an open wound, just a little bit of pressure, it could be nothing to me, just that little pressure. But if it's an open wound, that causes terrible amount of pain. And what we found with working with thousands of people now, that so many of us are walking around with open pain and open sores. And we're trying to get by and trying to do the best we can with our parenting and with our friendships and with our discipleships and with our leadership and all the things that we're doing. But sometimes we have this unaddressed wounding that's deep down that we don't ever look at, that we don't ever bring up. But the kings, I guess, are. <laughs> it's very difficult to look at these things because it's uncomfortable. And how do I point out to you, maybe you should look at that. But today, we want to challenge you and, and think about this in maybe a different way to say, hey, the church has the most beautiful opportunity because we have the great healer here. And how often do we bring our wounds and expose them to the great healer and ask all the physicians and the, and the people with faith to help pray for us? I think that's why uh, James, James 5 says, confess your faults one to another. You know, actually, we preach a lot on the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? Yeah! So we all get down here, we're like yelling down, oh God, do something amazing, right? But then we forget the first part of it. Confess your faults one to another. Why? Remember the rest of the verse? 
so that ye may be healed. So maybe because we haven't done a good job of discipling and talking about, hey, and not for the sake of, hey, check this out. I got this big, huge, gaping wound. You should check it out. (laughs) I have met those people too. But most of the time I've talked to people, we, we just put on the happy face and come to church and act like nothing's there and expect God to do something. He's like, hey, ask me for it. Maybe you should talk to a mentor to pray with you about this. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But if we're confessing our fault one to another, we're healed. And praying for one another. So that's what we want to talk about today. How do we heal? And what is our part when shalom is shattered in healing the wounded heart? Pastor Bradford said earlier that tonight's going to be a little different. And we won't let him down. So are you guys down for something a little different tonight? Okay, so the ushers are going to help us out. Um, You guys have been given something to distribute, right? Yeah? Okay, cool. So the ushers are going to pass out a card. And on this card, it's an anonymous survey. But we're asking you to take some personal inventory. What are some of the wounds that have been inflicted on you, whether in your childhood, your upbringing, your adulthood, your important relationships? And um, it's definitely not an exhaustive list. You guys can go ahead and start distributing. Thank you. Um, It's not an exhaustive list at all. It's just a few questions, yes or no questions. And again, it's anonymous. So are we going to put our names on these? No. Okay, so don't put your names on them, okay? Um, It's anonymous. So go ahead and take a moment. Take a look at that, and everyone can receive one. It's not just for parents. It's for everybody. We're taking some personal inventory on what's been going on in our hearts, our homes, our lives. And once you receive one, fill it out. And then uh, ushers, as you see people, uh, the majority of people completing it, if you can also uh, collect them. So you guys can fold it in half so no one sees your answers. And then we'll hand them back to the ushers um, after you've filled it out. Okay? So while you're filling that out, we want you to know that Deep wounds, although it's pretty widespread, they're often misunderstood. Sometimes we're so hesitant to allow ourselves to talk about these wounds because we don't want to label ourselves. Anyone ever experienced that? You don't want to label yourself. You don't want to self-diagnose. And so you just don't talk about it. Or we want to think of ourselves as having gotten over the wounds, especially if we have the Holy Ghost, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I'm all over that. Holy Ghost has completely removed it from my memory. We hear that sometimes, and I think the Holy Ghost can do anything. But a lot of times people are uh, pretending that the Holy Ghost has removed it from their memory. And so the nature of wounds is that they leave sensitivities, gaping holes in our lives, even though they're invisible. Also, some people are afraid of the term trauma. You guys heard of the term trauma? A head nod if you've heard of it, yep. Some people are afraid of that term. The term trauma actually comes from the same Greek word for the term wound. We've been talking about wounds, and that's scriptural. And the, the term trauma comes from that same Greek word. And when someone has a traumatic experience, it leaves a scar or an imprint in their nervous system and in their body. There's a book actually called The Body Keeps the Score. If you're If you want to nerd out a little bit and read that book, it's really good, especially for leaders when you're working with people who have been wounded. 
Um, that's a great book to, to know what's going on in the body and in the nervous system. But it then shows up in multiple ways that really are not helpful to you later on. So what's the nature of a wound? Well, the nature of a wound, it's very much like, well, trauma. But, of course, when you touch a wound, it's, it hurts, right? It, and that's the exact same way when you, well, just, just think. When we're in a relationship and we have a wound somewhere and someone does something that recalls you back to when you're a childhood and that same thing happens, you're going to react in the same exact way or very similar to as if you're still in that pain. That's how we know that trauma still exists. Um, on the other hand, sometimes with trauma, it's not a gaping wound, but there's scar tissue. There wasn't the proper care at the time of it happening where it developed scar tissue. And what's really interesting about scar tissue, it, it, it becomes rigid. It's not flexible anymore. And, you know, with scar tissue, there isn't nerve endings in the scar tissue, and it becomes unfeeling. It has a difficult time feeling since it, it's not very sensitive. And we could see the exact same exact thing when it comes to uh, hard things in our lives that happen to us when we're kids or young adults or even when, our, when we're married. We've seen trauma happen. So we want to give you a working definition here. Trauma is not what has happened to you. Some people think, like, oh, I got in a major car accident or I was sexually abused or I was in the military and witnessed death of my friends. And those are definitely traumatic experiences. But trauma itself is not what happened to you. Um, but trauma is the invisible wound that left as a result. The invisible wound that was inflicted upon you as a result of that event. And folks, that is the good news. We can't undo what has happened. We can't go back and rewrite the narrative. But what we can do is give the pen to God and surrender the narrative from here on out. And that wound can actually be healed. And this is biblical. Some people say time heals all wounds. Have you guys heard that before? Time heals all wounds. You may have even said that before. I may have said that before. But it's simply not true. Action over time heals wounds. Sometimes that action is by the healer himself. Sometimes the healer empowers us to take action. And most of the time, it's both. God will do what you can't do but he won't do what you can do. And so we have to take action, and God will take action. And over time, those actions over time can produce healing. So how do we begin to fix this? I hope this is okay. We told you it would be different, right? This is different. But I know that with, well, you'll see, with the audience this big, there's a lot of broken and hurting people that are being helped by Jesus. And we just want to further that healing and point to some scriptures that we see and some concepts kind of melding science and what the Bible says because the Bible's true. And science is just a description of what is true or what is in the world that God created. So what we know helps, first of all, first and foremost, is vulnerability. And that's the exact thing that you don't want to do when you get hurt, right? Right? What's the first thing we do when we get hurt? We, 
isolate, recoil. We go back in shame. Shame isolates. I'm a bad person. This happened to me. And what, as soon as what we do with the vulnerability is we just absolutely shun it. And people ask, what is vulnerability? So vulnerability, the word vulnerability comes from a, a Latin word. Um, what is the Latin word again? Uh, vulnerare. There you vulnerare. go. Say that five times if fast. I said that correctly. Which means to wound. So inherent within the, the idea of vulnerability is the capability of being wounded again. But what's required for us to heal is to expose that wound to a healer or to the body. Remember that we can't just take a body part like, oh, I want to heal my heart and take the heart and put it up on the shelf. We don't do that. The body of Christ is here for a reason. The body heals the body. We bring our hurts and pains to God. And, and to, of course, to trusted people and individuals in the body. But vulnerability is necessary for healing. And we all are vulnerable from conception until death. But when we experience a threat, we want to try to avoid vulnerability. And so, like Adam said earlier, we isolate and we put walls up to avoid that vulnerability. For example, sometimes we avoid that vulnerability with our family and friends by needing to be right. No one's ever done that here before. Needing to be right. And so what happens is if I'm right, then I'm powerful. And if I'm powerful, then I don't feel like I am at risk of being hurt and I'm not um, exposed to an attack anymore. So we use that tactic sometimes to avoid vulnerability and so many other tactics, but we avoid this vulnerability at the expense of shalom in our homes when we're just bickering and needing to be right and putting walls up and isolating from our spouse, our kids, our closest friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. And think about this. Everything in nature that grows is vulnerable. And things that are not as vulnerable don't grow. If you think of like a crustacean crab, for instance, what is, what is the, what's housing that crab? A shell. Does the crab grow? No, because it's not open to be wounded. It's not vulnerable. Um, does a tree grow very well when it's planted in really hard ground? really where does it grow best when it's soft green vulnerable ground when we can mold it and shape it and kids can actually come and knock it over when it's first planted but when it's exposed and it's vulnerable that's when it has the potential to grow best and so it is with us we have the potential to grow when we are exposed and vulnerable in the right circumstances and we'll talk about that and that's what we're encouraging today so with that in mind, we're actually going to ask the ushers to shuffle up these anonymous disclosures that you did not put your name on, and nobody's going to know who wrote what. Um, but we're going to ask them to redistribute those to everyone here today. So if you guys can do that, redistribute these uh, cards to everybody. I know this is nerve-wracking. Everyone's wondering, who got my card? It's okay. Everyone here is part of the Nobody body. Nobody knows. 
I think what, what happens is in a crowd this big, we all start to just become numbers almost. We forget real pains and why people act the way they act. And we become uh, less patient um, and we have a hard time opening up because we feel like we're the only one. I mean, does that happen? I mean, that's happened for me when I've went through hard moments. Am I the only one? Like we're all in our nice suit and tie or nice clothes. We come to church. Everybody looks great. And I'm the only one really hurting. But I can't show that sadness because I don't want everybody to think something's wrong and try to, try to shock them on me or something. Right? Like there's that fear of feeling out of place or something's wrong with Adam. Shun him. <laughs> and the thing is, this is the place to come when I do have pain. That pain is life. Light, pain is all around us. But what we want to demonstrate is that the pain that you all have been through has been gone through by other people, lots of other people in the room. And we, if we start to become like the body of Christ, start to minister and love, love like Jesus, in, that, in that, that selfless way, so much healing can be done. And maybe somebody will open up to you and you can love them in their pain. And maybe you can have the courage to open up to them and share your pain so that we can learn to pray for each other and to bring this before God. Because God will heal. I've watched it hundreds of times where PTSD is healed and depression, the deepest kind, is gone. And anxiety, panic attacks. One of my best friends had panic attacks for a long time. Amazing guy. In ministry, incredibly shameful about it. Like he was so shamed about it. Wouldn't share it with anybody, but he was being racked with pain and scared to die and everything. And he reached out and began getting help. And we walked him through that. And now he's thriving. But we don't talk about that very often, do we? We show up sometimes. And maybe you guys are different. Maybe I have you guys all wrong. Like, you guys do this naturally. But where I'm from, just up the road, it's difficult still to open up and talk about this stuff with vulnerability. Because I don't want to get hurt. Because of that, we all become hearts on a shelf. And the body ceases to minister to itself. And I can't pray for you very effectively unless God, like, speaks directly into my mind, which I wish would happen a lot more often. But I think God is asking us to become more vulnerable and we can actually start ministering to each other. You might be uncomfortable with this, but keep in mind when you grow, there's often growing pains associated with that. When we start to remind ourselves of some of the things we've gone through, we can get triggered. That's, that's like a growing pain. So we're challenging you to that growing pain today. Does everybody have a, a survey, someone else's survey in your hand? Go ahead and open that up. And we're going to read each question one at a time. And as we read it, if the person whose survey you're holding, if they marked yes, we want you to stand in their place. 
So remember, everyone who's standing, these aren't the people who actually filled it out, but you are standing in for someone else. You're going to represent someone else today as you stand. So if the person marked yes, you'll stand. Do you have any heavy memories that you can't shake? Represented right here are near-death car accidents, childhood abuse, war, domestic violence, broken trust in relationships. This is much more than half of the room. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Have you ever battled with depression or anxiety? We think we're all alone when we experience depression or anxiety. We think, man, I'm a Holy Ghost-filled person. Why am I experiencing this? Maybe you're a new mama, and you wonder, I thought this was only like those things I read about in the news, but I'm experiencing this. This fits with the numbers that we see in statistics. These are real people. These are not just numbers. Thank you. You can be seated. Next question is, were you ever abused physically or sexually? Please stand. We've done this before at different places, and it's almost always the same amount of people for each one of these. So this is not an anomaly. You may be seated. Did your parents divorce? Please stand. And as a child who goes through that, you might think, man, this is only like for people in the world. And the statistics are about the same in the church. It's about 50% of the room. That inflicts a lot of wounds on kiddos. Thank you. You can be seated. The next question is, has trust ever been broken in your relationship? You may be seated. Broken trust is something that people think we are all alone in. Whether that's an affair or pornography exposure or a lie, money trust, pills, addiction, all sorts of things that are kept from a spouse. But you saw the people standing. It's very widespread. Have you ever wanted to open up but didn't feel like you could? Please stand. Yeah. A lot of us feel so alone in the pain, and we just, a lot of times, don't. Please be seated. The first time we did that, that was so eye-opening to us. Of course, we see this every day. Uh, we talk with people. We help them. We work with them. We see them conquer things. But for people that have never gone to counseling or just ha haven't yet or it's difficult to conceptualize all the other people that have dealt with stuff and we see this all clean and you know and God helps us guys that we're all here by the grace of God 
I mean, I can't overstress that enough, but what I'm doing is encouraging people here. God sent us to encourage you to say, you're not alone. And we can't be alone because we are the body of Christ. There is nowhere safer in the whole entire world than this church. This church is for you to find healing, salvation, friendship, not loneliness, not depression. Sometimes we face those things, but there is a way out. And we don't have to do that in loneliness. And when we do connect, there is healing there. Amen. We're going to talk more practically uh, tomorrow and Thursday on some of the scripts and tools. And we're going to get just really um, practical with you guys. So we're going to answer that question, how? How do I open up? How do I change this trajectory in my family? Um, but first, we're going to ask the question, to whom? To whom do I open up? We want to read Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This is a prophecy about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So we ask, what type of healing is being talked about here? A lot of people assume, like, that's healing our sins, right? Because we're, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. He's going to go to the cross, and he's going to be wounded on the cross, and he's going to die for our sins. And that's absolutely true. But is there other type of healing implied here? So a lot of Christians are familiar with the term Rapha. There's even songs about Jehovah Rapha. What does that mean? God, our healer. Um, and and as Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that by Jesus' stripes, we're healed. And that's the term used there in the Hebrew. It's, it comes from the same term as Rapha, like Jehovah Rapha. Um, but is that just physical healing? Is it healing from our sins? Or can it also be emotional healing? How many of you have been to the Middle East um, and have seen some of the tapestries that they weave, like those, those rugs? Yeah. Um, we were in Turkey last year, and we saw that happening, the, um, the women. It's just so beautiful how they weave these tapestries, and they set it up so intricately. Yeah, so um, it was super cool. We were in Istanbul and um, got taken down to a little tiny, like, hole in the ground inside the great bazaar and bought a rug and they said this lady there was a lady this is an 80 year old rug and this lady had had worked on this for three years i was like i can't believe that like that's that just boggles my mind three years of work for this beautiful masterpiece here because rug making or doing this sort of work is very taxing because of all the knots and intricacies involved well to repair a new rug, they have to stretch the threads from one beam to another, and then they run um, like a piece of wood back and forth to start to form uh, the different um, uh, knots and stuff. Well, to repair one is actually where we get this word healing, and it gives us insight. Remember, all it, there's only about 3,000 words in the Hebrew language if you take out the proper nouns. Um, you know, pe uh, places and, and, and people, people's names. 
So each word is so descriptive, and it gives us an insight of what's happening. It's a pictorial language. And so to fix a garment or a rug, you take and hang the rug on a pole, and then you attach rocks on the bottom. And then what the weaver does is he starts to expand the weave and pull out and and take another stick and weave it through. And he starts to pull out the pieces that are damaged in the threads. And and then he'll hit the shuttle and push the, the knots down to make them tight again. He'll pull out. And what happens is the weaver will actually get into a, um, a rhythm and a cadence. And the word for healing is the sound that the stones make at the bottom. They go, rafa, fa, fa, like they're rafa. And that's where they got the word healing. The stones at the very bottom are making that noise as the healer is repairing or the weaver is repairing and taking out the pieces and putting in the new pieces. And it's a process. Yeah, and as that rhythm is established, the rocks stretching the garment strike one another. And that's actually where that term comes from. So the work done by that carrying weaver is so similar to what happens in our own lives when Jehovah Rapha, our healer, stretches us, when he goes to gently remove those threads that are damaged, and he replaces them with new ones. He's healing us. He's repairing us. He's making us whole, making us new. And isn't it true that sometimes we feel that stretching and we hear the sound of those rocks hitting each other in that process of healing, and we resist the weaver's hand that's trying to pull out those broken and damaged pieces in us, and we cling to that broken identity see it happen every week. People want to cling to that broken identity because that's all they've ever known. It's more comfortable that way. They avoid the new, the novel. And that's what happens in our lives when we cling to our old narrative and our old identity. We want to bring our attention to Isaiah chapter 54 verse 11. In this verse, and we're going to be coming to a close here. It says, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. So the root word for the term translated as foundations here in the Hebrew is yasad. And like Adam said, the Hebrew language only has 3,000 words once you take out those proper names. So the word yasad is actually the same word that is used for an intimate knowing or intimacy in general or even the term intercourse. They use that Hebrew word yasad. And so what's happening here is that the King James Version says that this foundation will be built upon sapphires. So this intimacy that God wants with us will be built upon the term there, sapphires, saphir. It actually refers to a very particular gem, lapis lazuli. It's a deep, rich, blue stone. And the ancients used to grind up this stone, this lapis lazuli, and mix it with milk. And they used it as a healing ointment. They would heal an open wound with this mixture, such as an ulcer. 
And so this foundation or this intimacy in this verse will be built upon a healing ointment. So what's being pictured is that as we face the storms of life and we're battered by them and God just says, I'm going to polish you like a gemstone. I'm going to smooth all of your rough edges. I'm going to eliminate those impurities. And then I'm going to place you in a beautiful setting. And although we still may carry a lot of pain and heartbreak from the storms, God will build a foundation of intimacy upon which we find a balm of healing. And that's what he's calling us to today. We're going to be coming to a close as the musicians come. We have one last story to share with you. This story a while back really touched my heart. There was a guy named Joseph Devesser. Um, he took the name later, Damien, um, in his religious life. But he was born to a fa farming family in Belgium. And he always wanted to be a missionary growing up. He just wanted to go out and help. Well, on the other side of the world, there was a setup that, that needed helping. Um, in Hawaii, the native Hawaiians uh, were just inundated with disease and sickness because the ships from Europe had come and exposed the native Hawaiians to uh, lots of disease. And the people were becoming sick. I think I read one number. It was like 300,000 natives, and it went down to like 50,000 very quickly because these people had no natural immunity. And one particular disease that was so horrible, uh, called leprosy, um, there was no cure for it. What do you do with a leper? Well, it's all over the Bible if you read the Bible. Well, you send them out of your camp. And so what was happening is they took these lepers and they put them on a different island that was really small. And they just left them because these, the officials, the people helping the officials were scared of touching these people because they were afraid of contracting this disease because it's deadly. Well, the father, Damien, was like, hey, I want to go. I want to go help these people. And he knew the risks. He said, okay. So he talked to people around him and the authorities. And they said, sure, let's go. So they sent him and he began working. And these people had next to nothing. Because they were just sent there, really, to die. They didn't have clothing, really. They didn't have food. They didn't have much of anything. And so Damien, with his knowledge that he had gathered from his life in Belgium, began farming, teaching them to farm, teaching them how to live a rural life successfully, and began teaching the people. But he wasn't content with just keeping these people at arm's length. He went among them. He touched them. He's with them. Even though that meant possibly him contracting leprosy himself and not being able to go back and see his family and being banished himself to an island. He chose instead to be with the people and to love the people and to touch the people and to dig their graves and to build their houses and to teach them things that they couldn't have teach, taught themselves. 
And then one day, <clears throat> then one day, Damien opened up his coat at church and he said, we lepers. Everything changed. The way he communicated to them, the way he interacted with them changed because now he identified with them. He was not an other. He was a part. And because of that work, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people found God and had food and didn't suffer as much as they would be without his work. At the age of 49, they dug his grave. But he was doing the work of God and healing. You know what's beautiful? You know what's beautiful about the cross? I've studied world religions, and it's very interesting. You think of, I was just in Egypt, the crescent, the, the Muslim crescent. It's cool, or the Taoist gate is awesome, I guess. Or the Star of David, or just go down the list of the different religion symbols. But you know what's really interesting about the cross? Is that it typifies suffering. And it shows that a God is not apart from suffering, but he became suffering. He didn't stand back and just be like, hey, you know, all of my things that I like to watch that worship me said, no, I'm going to learn what it is like to hurt and to have pain. And who is God more like, Damien before or after leprosy? So where is God in our suffering? He's right next to us. He's right next to us. And you know, it might be the invisible touch of the hand of the Holy Ghost that touches you and moves inside of you. And then maybe a caring brother or sister who walks alongside you and says, I want to pray for you. And if we actually have that courage to say, see me, I'm marred, I'm scarred, I don't have everything in with, under control, I'm hurting, and I need help. You're just showing your humanity, but you know what, God didn't see humanity as being a curse, he became humanity in order to identify with us and to give us hope of a more beautiful and perfect wholeness. God wants to make us holy, not in the sense just of, you know, wearing the right things and not doing some things, but he wants to make us whole. That's what shalom means. He wants to make us whole. And we have to partner with God. And we have to be vulnerable enough to say, God, and open our jacket and say, see me for real. And God, if I have to partner with other brothers and sisters of God, Christ, so be it. But God, I want healing so that I can bring healing wherever I go. And so that I can bring healing into my family and peace in my family. And not just 
turn a blind eye to my reactions and my anger and my hurt and depression and anxieties, but I actually start to look at this and say, God, help me see me how you see me. Help me to have the courage to start to begin to change these places that I'm afraid of touching because he has the most gentle hand. So today, we want to invite the families starting this family season to talking about us because we are the leaders of the family. Parents, grandparents, we all play an important part in the direction of this church. The future of this church is you. Our health, our wellness, our ability to hear from God. It's hard to hear from God sometimes when we're racked with pain that we can't share or we're hiding in shame from what's happened to us. But we wanna encourage you today. We'll get to some of the more practical stuff, but healing starts in a heart. Healing starts with the decision to say, God, whatever it takes, do a work in me. You know, when the weaver is weaving and pulling out the threads that are broken and damaged and replacing with a new, it's a process. It's loud. Sometimes it's, it's, it's rigorous. But it's a process. It doesn't always happen. I mean, how, how often we pray for God's blessing financially, but we pray a few times for God's healing in our anger or healing in our the addictions or healing and just name whatever we're dealing with. Sometimes we have to keep on going to that healer and keep on tagging in with our brothers, accountability partners, our prayer partners, saying, God, help me. I don't know if this has touched you. I pray that God is calling his people to a deeper consecration and sanctification and giving you the courage to reach out to someone. But first, before we can do that, we have to be courageous enough to seek that healing for us. So maybe, I don't know if, if it would be appropriate, but I would like to invite, um, as, as the singers sing, invite us down to the front just for a moment to say, God, help me in our family. Help me lead our family with integrity. And God, if I have to open my jacket and show you truly myself again, I'm going to choose to be vulnerable. And I want to change. I want to see the change in me. I want to see holiness. I want to see your presence in my family. But God, let it first start. Let it first start in me. Come on, all, all, let's, let's all pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let's all lift our hands. Let's lift them up. Come on, we have time for this. This healing can last a lifetime. You don't have to carry that baggage.
Hallelujah. Why don't we lift up our voice? Praise God. Lord, we thank you because we know that you are a healer. You bring to us shalom and peace and strength and anointing. Praise God. We feel the depth that is in this house tonight, the river that flows that is a strength of healing and virtue. Praise God. I pray that in this place tonight, there's the same attitude that spun you around when a woman with an issue of blood touched the hem of your garment. Hallelujah. You turned and you said, who touched me? I felt virtue flow out of me. I pray that virtue flows in this place tonight to individuals who are in deep, deep need. You're a God that responds faithfully to us. Praise God. And we worship you and praise you. We thank you and magnify your great name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I think it would be very safe to say that shalom is shattered in our world. I don't see much peace in our world. I don't see much healing in our world. I see a lot of confusion that directly impacts families. And then certainly the result of that is it affects children. But you know what's amazing is on all five of those questions, it was the same amount of people that stood and represented the problems here in the church. Sometimes we, we're criticized because people say, well, what's the difference? The difference is the church has got a better way of dealing with issues and problems and hurts. You tell me, what's the world going to do with all of those issues? It's going to be coping mechanisms and alcohol and drug addictions and a lot of stuff. Praise God. But in the house of God, there's one that is capable and fully able of healing every wound, every bit of trauma, because Jesus is a healer. It's not, it's not that we're perfect. We just know there is one that we can run to in times of difficulty. I think we need to lift up our voice in this place here tonight. Hallelujah. And speak emphatically that Jesus, you bring strength and anointing. Hallelujah. In the midst of darkness, you shine a light. In the midst of hurt and difficulty, you bring to us healing. Praise God. And so we speak your name. Hallelujah. We say in Jesus' name, we honor you and praise you and thank you and worship you. Amen. You know, there were several moments in their talk here tonight that God always does his part but he needs us to do our part and I, don't, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with people that have wanted somebody else to go say and do it wanted somebody else to give the advice wanted somebody else to bring the counsel and in some cases they've been parents wanting you to step in and help their children and We can't be effective parents if, if we can't parent if we're not effective parents. So what they were really trying to get us all to see is we got to work on ourselves first. You go through all the practical stuff, but if your heart's not right, it's, it's not going to resonate. You're not going to be successful. But if we work on ourselves and God works on us and he does what needs to be done with us, we become more effective as parents and spouses and friends 
and fellow workers in the kingdom of God. Praise God. And that's what we desire and that's what we want. Praise God. Thank you very, very much, Brother and Sister King. Amen. Thank you very, very much. Praise God. We appreciate that. We'll be here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We know that people work and what have you. And rather than taking a weekend, we made this on evenings. Uh, so, and we have child care. So we're just going to gather in. There's not going to be a whole lot of preliminary stuff, but we'll just get right into it. And so we'll start tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Praise God. Meet somebody and greet somebody and tell them I'm praying for you. Amen. And we'll see you here tomorrow night at 7.